1 Samuel chapter 14 is a great chapter of God's Word, and I'm glad I could share it with you this evening. And I'm going to continue going on to our, our, our study in 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to start chapter 1 on Sunday night. And I tell you, chapter 1 is a great chapter of, of the Word of God, and I've grown to enjoy it, been reading it and studying it, and been excited about even talking about it tonight. But when I realized we have uh, uh, half of our church, or more than half of our church out there at the um, other building tonight, and Brother Cowling's preaching to them. I felt like it would be better for me to kind of skip that and find another pastor's scripture. And the Lord led me to this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter number 14. It's a story of Saul, and Saul is, is, he is in a lonely spot. Saul no longer feels the presence of God upon his life. He has chosen to go with the sin of presumption. He had just rather ask God forgiveness than permission. He knew what God wanted him to do, and he wasn't following through. And the Lord said, you know what? You just got too much rebellion, too much stubbornness. You're going to do things your way, Saul. So I'll let you have your way, and I'll find another man who is after my own heart. So he is probably already now, he's already got uh, uh, David in preparation. David is watching sheep while this is happening. And Saul is under a pomegranate tree with uh, several hundred of his men and his son Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they are there. The Philistines are camped over the mountain just beyond them. And there is two sharp rocks. One is center, the other is another, another rock there. And there's a sharp rock on the other side is the Philistines. Most of the Hebrews have run and are trying to hide. A few of them are, have been captured and are with the Philistine army. But Saul is miserable. Saul is by himself. He's lonely. He doesn't, he doesn't have direction from the Lord. But Jonathan's a very special son that he has. And I'm telling you what, when you look at Bible characters in the scriptures, I think a good study is Jonathan. He was a kingmaker. He himself could not be the king. He was the next in line, but the Lord had refused his dad, and his dad had sinned, and his dad's sin complicated Jonathan's opportunities. So he had now refused um, Saul because of his stubbornness, and basically two things that you see with Saul, and that is rebellion and stubbornness, things we should never be proud about. And he had that inside of him. He, had a, he probably was uh, compliant sometimes, but not a follow-through. He wasn't all in. I'm telling you what, you want to be miserable? You want to invite more satanic opportunities into your life? Be a rebel. Just, just be stubborn. Have your own way. You want to practice idolatry? The Bible says that rebellion is a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as idolatry. And you'll see that in the next chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 15. But Jonathan was his son. He and David would become good friends in chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. You can see about that. And David, Saul realized, Jonathan realized what was going on. And he said, look, take my sword. Take my shield. You're going to be the next king. And I'm good with that. And he died the same day his dad died. And a lot of things that saddened me about Jonathan's life. But this is a highlight in Jonathan's life. Let's look if we can please. In 1 Samuel chapter 14. And it came to pass verse 1. Upon, the, upon a day when Jonathan the son of Saul. Said unto the young man that bears armor. Come let us go over to the Philistine garrison. That is on the other side. But he told not his father. 
And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And uh, Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas and the son of Eli, the Lord's priest, in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over into the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Boses and the other's name was Sinna. And the forefront of the one was situated northward over against Mishmash. He's given some geographical um, uh, monuments so you know where it is. And southward over against Gibeah. Verse number 6, look at it with me. Let's read that together, can we please? And those of you at home, I hope you'll read it with us as well. 1 Samuel 14, verse number 6. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee, behold, I am with thee, according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we'll discover ourselves unto them. We'll let them know that we're here. We'll stand up and let them know that we're in their presence. And if they say unto us, Tarry until we come unto you, then we will stand here in our place and will not go up to them. But if they say unto us, Come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves, or stood up and said, You, we're here, unto this garrison of Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up unto us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And basically the next few verses, and for sake of time, we'll not go through the rest of the chapter. I hope you will. hope you go home tonight and read the rest of this. But they go there, and in a matter of a half acre of land that an oxen would plow, they kill 20 opponents come at him and he knocks them and deals with them and the armor bearer comes and finishes them off and then there became a rustling and a rambling inside the host of the Philistines and they got all nervous and they went around beating each other down and then Saul is back under the pomegranate hey what's going on what's going on there's something's going on and he said hey is everybody here and they said well let's count them find out and they found instead of 600 men they found 598 and the two that were missing was Jonathan, his own son, and the armor bearer. And of course, at that time, Saul is in trouble. He is, he's, he's aimless. He's just tarrying. He's, when he could be on the move, he's just sitting still. When he could be doing something, he's doing nothing. He's uh, foolishly. He doesn't even know how many guys are there. He doesn't know what's going on in his life. He decides uh, some foolish rules later on, tells the men who are battling, he says, no, we've got to fast, we can't eat. He's a dumb rule when you're trying to get something done. He said, don't eat anything. So he's got a whole bunch of men, 600 of them, and haven't eaten anything. They're fasting in the middle of a war. 
And they don't have the strength and making some really dumb things. He actually even uh, sentenced his own son to death because his son didn't know. And he took some honey in his mouth and, and ate something. And he said, hey, you ate something? Oh, you got to die. You know, just some, some bipolar activity between his ears because he doesn't have any direction. By the way, that's what rebellion and stubbornness will do for you. That's what getting the, getting the presence of God off your life will do. You want to live in the presence of the Lord. Well, that's, that's kind of what happens. But this story is a beautiful story. And what I like about the story in verse number 7, when Jonathan says to his armor bearer, now an armor bearer is someone who is like a caddy for a golfer. You know, if you have a golfer, usually in professional golf, you'll see a guy that uh, he'll, he's just walking around and he's got a little notebook, he's keeping score for himself, puts it in his back pocket. And then he has a, a young, a someone who is carrying his bag full of his clubs. And he says, you know, I want, a, I want an iron, I want, a, I, want a, I want a wood, I want the chipper, or I want uh, this particular wedge, a sand wedge. And he tells him, and, and the, the, uh, the, the caddy will give it to him. He'll wipe it off, make sure it's good. He'll hand it to them. He'll tell him, I think you're about this far away. You can hit about this far. He gives him some advice, and he gives him whatever, whatever club he wants. Well, in this day, that was kind of what this young man was. He was an armor bearer. Because a soldier would have his... his, his um, his knife or his dagger and a sword. He would have a shield. He would maybe have some nunchucks. I don't know about that one there, you know. He'd have a spear. He would have different things that he would like to use in battle and, and would use different muscles and different different uh, ways to deal with that. And so the guy come beside him, he said, man, give me my spear. And he would have blood all over. He'd be washing it off, getting it ready and waiting for him again. Give me, my, give me my sword. Give me this right here, whatever I need. And so he would be one handling handle that to him. And so that was his that was his job. Well, he and his and Jonathan, his armor bearer, sneak away from their dad and they just go up and they look between two sharp rocks and pull their little head over there. And they look down and they see the garrison of the Philistines camped out. And they see them laughing and joking and maybe the little fireside chat over here and maybe some other folks and, and uh, laughing and, and uh, it's starting to boil inside of, of Jonathan. And Jonathan said, why don't we go get these guys? And he said, uh, it may be that the Lord would work for us. Why don't, why don't, we, why don't we attempt to do something? Why don't we just sit around and just do nothing? I'm going to attempt to do something with God. Amen. You know, I think all of us ought to attempt to do something with God. Amen. Everybody ought to do something. And maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's a gospel track. Maybe it's a win one soul. Maybe it's a disciple, a convert through one level of discipleship. That'd be a good idea. Maybe it'd be just, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to learn the neighbors of all of my block, and I'm just going to learn them, and I'm going to pray over them. This year, and ask God to bring one or two or three or all of them to the Lord. I'm going to attempt something. I'm not, I'm not going to, maybe I, I, I know I can sing. I, I need to sing in the choir. God's provoked me to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say, you're going to see my little face in the choir. I can play an instrument. I played an instrument when I was in junior high and high school. And oftentimes I see the, the thing and the Spirit of God's telling you to do it. And that's not the devil telling you to do it. Some of you, you know God's calling you. To do something. Maybe it's to be a missionary. Maybe it's to be, to be a faithful witness and to do something. I don't know what it is. Give out gospel tracts or to, to be, a, to be a, used of God in some way. 
And there's something inside of you that wants to tempt. I, I need to start a route. Or I need to work on the bus route. Or I can teach a Sunday school class. Or something that God has put inside of you. And you know, Jonathan, as he looked over there with his armor bearer, he said, you know what? Let's go down there. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Here's what we're going to do. Just a few moments. I want you and me to stand up together. And we'll discover ourselves. We'll let, we'll, we'll let them know that we're looking at them. They'll see our little Hebrew head standing up there. And, and, and uh, let's just stand up together and see what's going to happen. One of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to say, you stay right there. We'll be up there in just a second. He says, if they say that, we're probably in a lot of trouble. He said, we're going to have to get out of here real quick. we got all kinds of problems coming. However, if they say, hey, come on down to us. I think that's God's move for us to get down there. And let's see what God can do. I want to talk to you just this evening. And they did. They did that. But what was kind of neat, the little armor bearer said, well, listen, whatever you think God wants you to do, I'm with you. <laughs> Whatever's in your heart. I'll follow you. I don't have the guts to do it. But if you do, I'll just follow along and die with you. <laughs> you know, I'll go with you. It gave him the confidence to do it. And that little guy said, you know, whatever's in your heart, you do it, and I'll follow you. I'll be right behind you, I promise you. And he, and he went with him. And sure enough, they went and discovered themselves, and the guys did exactly what he predicted. The second thing, they said, why don't you come down to us, and we'll teach you a thing. It almost sounds like some gang talk, isn't it? Come on down here, we'll teach you a thing. And they said, okay. I, I don't know if they winked at each other. I don't know if they did a high five or what. And they said, let's go. And there it goes, 20 guys, one after the other. Probably looked like a, a Chuck Norris movie or something, you know. A guy, one guy coming and then flipping him over. And then, ah, you know, this guy. And flipping him, ah, you know, whack, you know. And he finished him off. And at, at a half acre of land, there's 20 dead men. And now things start to happen. An earthquake comes from the Lord and all kinds of mayhem takes place. And at the end of the day, Saul, who's thinking all this, this he didn't know what's going on. God gives him strength, renewed strength for him and his people. And he doesn't only defeat the Philistines, he defeats others. Amalekites and the Moabites. And boy, they get, they get going on the strength of what one man and his armor bearer did. With that in mind, I want to just share with you a couple thoughts I think that you can help me with. I want you to notice real quickly the believers that you know that attempted something great for God. Let's talk about believers in the Bible. Who are some people in the Bible that come to your mind that they attempted great things for God? And boy, it was a blessing to lots of people, maybe even to you and I today. Who's someone in the Bible? Yes, sir, Don? David. David. Is there not a cause? Let's get this Goliath. You see that. And boy, I love that story. And I'm glad you did that. Yes, ma'am. Esther. Esther. For such a time as this, you've come into the kingdom. She stood up and did something that really scared the snot out of her. And scared other people in the whole area. Yes, sir. Noah. Noah built an ark when it never had rained before. He did something. He attempted something great. And each of these people... They didn't do it in their, own, in their own idea. It wasn't their idea, and it wasn't even their own might. He said, you think I'm coming to you. You're coming to me with a sword and a spear. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. Every time, for 120 years, they asked Noah, why are you building this ark? He had only one thing he could tell them. God told me to. <laughs> I'm doing this with the Lord. 
Uh, Esther, same way. He said, look, you guys pray for us because we're going to need God in this situation. Who else comes to your mind? Think of DJ. Daniel and the lion's den standing there uh, after praying. And they said, don't pray anymore. If you pray anymore, you're going to go to jail. And he went ahead and did it, and he went to jail <laughs> and spent the night with the, with the, with the uh, lions there. But he did something great with God. Yes, ma'am. Joseph, sure. He was given the prime minister of, of Egypt. And, and no doubt, the one thing we find about Joseph that was said about him, the Lord was with him. Yes, sir. Joshua. Yeah, the captain of the Lord of hosts appeared to him. And everything he did, he didn't do in his own power. He did in the power of the Lord. Brother Mike. Gideon. Yeah, Gideon, of course, and his 300 men. Uh, he knew that wasn't, that wasn't going to be him. It wasn't going to be those 300 men. Ezekiel, yes. Paul, sure, went on three missionary journeys, several thousand miles collectively in missionary journeys, going through good times and bad times and hard times. Tim, Moses leading a million plus people from uh, Israel. Why don't you think about this? Okay, those are people from the Bible. Let's think about a couple people that are in history that we know or even people that are still alive that have done, attempted great things with the Lord. Who comes to your mind? Lawrence. George Washington, I think, started our country. Yes, sir. Brother Hiles. Man, we're all here today in part because uh, this, this church was here before Brother Hiles came. But, uh, boy, he put it on steroids. And I'm so thankful for that. And God used him. Wonderfully, Mikhail. D.L. Moody here, here in Chicagoland region. Got saved while he was in, in, uh, in there. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. William Carey. And he said this, attempt great things for God. Expect things from God. Attempt great. He said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things from God. Yes, sir, Isaiah. Oh, me? Oh, brother. Come on now. I'm going to get a big head like Joe Ramses over here. Yeah, yeah. Charles Spurgeon. Yeah. Hey, each of these people are people that did great things. They did great things. Amy Carmichael. A beautiful, beautiful lady that gave of her life to, for the mission field. Everyone that we named, and boy, we can name names all night long, are believers that attempted great things for God, and the, the rest is history. Let's think of another one real quick, another thought real quickly. How about barriers that keep us from attempting great things for God? What are things that, there are things that God wants me to do and you to do, but there are some barriers. And the people that, that we talked about in the Bible and the people that we talked about in history, they had some of the similar barriers. What comes to your mind when you think about that, Brother John? Materialism. What am I going to lose if I do this? Now, how much is this going to cost me? Will I be able to have the same lifestyle I have now then, if I do this, certainly, attempting great for, things for God, is, of course, he says, uh, I count all these things but dung. These are just, this is manure in comparison to what God would want me to do. Mike, what comes to your mind? Death. 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 Debt. Okay. Yeah, a barrier to sometimes attempting great is, is debt. No doubt about that. 
Thought about that? I'm glad that our debt now and in our church is down to $9.646 million and another $40,000 will get to 9.5. That'll be awesome, won't it? I'm, a, I'm proud of I'm proud of almost 500000 since we uh, started our, our, um, our uh, new loan. I'm just so thankful for that. Yes, Tim? Fear. How many of you from time to time have a problem with fear? I do. By the way, who gives us that, that spirit of fear? Does the Lord bring that to you? No. Uh, the devil always puts a question mark where God puts a period. <laughs> he always has a spirit of doubt and fear that comes to us when we have opportunities to do something with God. I see the barriers. I wrote a couple other barriers here. Fear, laziness. Just, I mean, that's going to be a lot of work if I do that. I have to do that. It's going to take some time. That's going to take some effort. That's going to take. Some, I'm just not sure if I want to want to commit to that. Boy, I have one man that doesn't come to church. He used to. He doesn't come to church now. And here's what he says to me. He said, Pastor, if I came back to church, I know I have to get involved again. I know I need to be on the bus route. I know I need to be doing. I can't just go and sit in church. I know God wired me different, but I'm just not ready. Isn't that something? Laziness, apathy. Just, you know what, it's okay, I'm good, I'm good. All of us have a ceiling of commitment, things I'm willing to do, things I'm not willing to do. Uh, apathy is a challenge. I think the lack of compassion. Just, uh, you know, the, the, you remember the old the guy that was beaten up on the road to Jericho? The, 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 uh, the Levite walked by? Do you think he had sympathy for the guy? I would think so. Yeah, I think he probably said, boy, that poor guy is hurting, boy. Oh, that blood, and whoa. Oh, he's groaning. I just feel bad for him. But did he do anything about it? No. The, 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 the uh, Levite, the priest walked by. I'm sure he felt, oh, good night. I'd get dirty if I helped him. I'd, oh, I'd get all blood all over my sleeve. And I feel bad, the poor guy. But it was a good that when he looked on him, he had, you know what is compassion? Compassion is love with some action. It's love with action. It's doing something about it. Certainly, sometimes we don't do great things with God. We don't attempt great things with God because we don't really, we have sympathy without compassion. We're, we're okay. We're, we're comfortable. We want to stay in our comfort zone. We also have no sense of personal destiny. Destiny and, and something. You ought to ask yourself uh, every once in a while, why did God put me on the planet? What am I supposed to accomplish while I'm here? I've got just a small parenthesis of life. What am I supposed to do? Why did God make me? And why did He save me? And why did He keep me here after I'm saved? What's, some people just don't have a sense of destiny or a sense of purpose. I think every one of us ought to see, and I'm not asking you to, get, to be a maverick and take out on your own, but I just think there ought to be something inside of you that says, Lord, what do you want me to do? You don't think if you ask God what he'd like for you to accomplish, you think he'd probably share that with you? You've got to ask yourself, what does God make me? You know, not everybody's supposed to be behind a pulpit. Not everybody's supposed to, supposed to be teaching a class, but I think everybody will do something for the Lord. If you're a senior adult, if you're a single lady, a single man, you're married, you're, you're a teenager, you're a child, uh, whatever your, 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 your gift mix are, everybody ought to attempt something for God. And I think sometimes they don't do it because they don't have a sense of purpose, a sense of destiny that God didn't just make you and save you to sit here, hold a, hold a Dunkin' Donut and hold an iPhone and, and think that you're all that in a bag of chips. I think God's got a purpose for us. 
There's somebody that you'll win to Christ and you could influence for the gospel. No one could. You can give in such a way some of us could not do. You could watch a nursery. You could help somebody. You could do something. But so many people do not have a sense of destiny, a sense of purpose. We can grow apathetic. I think there are barriers. There are believers throughout history who attempted great things for God. There are barriers. I want to share something else to you, I think. I want to share with you some of the building blocks. What do you think it takes to do something for God? What does someone need to have inside of them? I don't know exactly what comes to your mind, but I think courage, commitment, compassion. I think uh, confidence in God. Some competence, some, some sort of things I've learned. I, I always tell young people in the Bible college, boy, learn something. If you can drive a bus, drive a bus. Good night. Learn how to do that. If you can, if you can learn how to speak another language, try to do that. You know, I learned sign language just by trying. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it was my life goal. I, I learned some Spanish just by trying. And I, I'm not all that. I don't understand everything. But I, I learned some accounting principles just by trying. You can figure out some stuff. I can do, I can learn a lot more things than I know now, but, but you know, it does take some competence. I wouldn't know how to plow snow. I'm not so sure I want to try. I don't think the whole world wants to try. I was talking to Brother John Conn today. He not only was doing some plowing, he was doing some landscaping, taking up half of our yard there. You know that? So he's got, he's got a lot of spring work to do when he gets back here, you know. But the truth of the matter is, we ought to learn something. It takes some confidence. I think another thing, it takes, a, it takes companionship. You know, the Lord didn't let Jonathan do this by himself. Somebody helped him. Boy, I'm so grateful for the help of God's people. You know, this room today wasn't prepared for us by just one person. There were some people who got together and figured it out. Some people came over and said, you know, let's move, that. Let's move, the, uh, let's move the ping pong table. Let's put some chairs over there. Let's unstack these chairs and put these here. And let's get this going here. You can't sing a choir by yourself. You can't have an orchestra by yourself. It's not really a good bus route. You just can't be the driver and do the captain and do everything all by yourself effectively. A Sunday school class doesn't work well when it's just one person. It's better when there's a group of people working together. I see a companion here really helps in trying to attempt great things for God. Sometimes it's a spouse, and that's a blessing. If you're a spouse, be a help to your spouse. But someone just a good friend. This guy wasn't a spouse. He's an armor bearer. He wasn't a, a, a skilled soldier. He's just a, somebody that just came alongside and said, I'm going to help you. What are some blessings of attempting great things for God? There are several things that come to my mind here. I think number one, it's God honors your life when you try. You know, you, if you don't try, you're, you're destined to succeed. <laughs> When you shoot at nothing, you're going to hit it. But the truth of the matter is, uh, when you try, you have a better chance for God blessing your effort. I'm just grateful for people that tried. I, I remember the man who prayed with me when I was 13 up here in the Jack Hiles Moore Auditorium. His name was Mr. Ingleby. He passed away recently, had Alzheimer's for several years, but he was old as long as I knew him. He was a layman. I remember one day he was, we, were trying to, we were trying to get a boat from one place to another place, and I heard him say a bad word. He got mad and he said something bad. And I, didn't, I, I was disappointed, but I, I understood. And 
He wasn't, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a Sunday school teacher. He just volunteered to drive the van from, from Superior, Wisconsin, down here, slept on the, on the gym floor on a mat in, at Hammond Baptist Schools for the whole week, Monday night through Thursday night. And on Thursday afternoon, he looked over and saw a little 13-year-old boy crying like a little girl. And he could have stayed there and said, boy, I hope John's okay. But he moved over, put his arm around me, said, John, you all right? I said, all the people were up on the front. Brother Don Harley was on the platform that night. Brother Stuart Mason was on the platform, and hundreds of other people were up there. I was sitting on that pew crying, and, I, and I, he said, what's wrong? I said, well, I don't know. I, was supposed to, I think I was supposed to be down there, but I don't know why. I don't know what I could do. I'm skinny. I'm poor. My teeth are all so crooked. I sing what I want for Christmas is one straight tooth. It's terrible. I said, I understand. I was just, I was, I was crying. <laughs> you know, and he said, John, you're in a good place, man. Just pray and tell God you'll do whatever he wants you to do. And I remember him praying, and then I prayed. You know, that guy, he just did what he could. He just did what he could. And I'm so blessed by what he did. I didn't know what he was doing. I was too young, too immature to even understand what it took to drive 12 kids from, you know, eight hours from Superior, Wisconsin. I had no idea. When our, when our fan belt blew off and he was in a, in a bar parking lot trying to get someone to take him to a parts store so he could fix that. I didn't, I didn't understand. I just thought it was hot out here, man. I can't believe we're in a bar. Oh, you know. But, you know, I, I thank God that he did what he could. I thank God that I'm blessed. Everybody on that bus was blessed because someone who wasn't all, he, did, he didn't have all the skills, he didn't have the greatest of testimonies, but he did what he could. And God blessed us, and God blessed me from that. Number two, I think when we attempt great things for God, not only does God take our life and bless it, but I think we have a unique way to encourage others to do it too. This, this young guy said, hey, whatever's in your heart, you do it, I'll follow you. Some of us, we can dream dreams. Other people help make those dreams come true. Some of you, we don't have a dream one. <laughs> we don't have any idea what can be done. But if we'll hook our wagon to someone else's locomotive, some good things can happen. And those of you who are dreamers and you have opportunities to do something, there's oftentimes someone, God's put someone to say, you know, I just need you. I just need you to keep on going and you keep on, and I'll keep going for you. We must attempt great things for God. What's another thing we can do? What's a blessing? I think we further our opportunities. We further, you know, and we meet other great friends. You know, from Jonathan's decision, he would eventually meet David. And they would be closer, just as, just, they would love each other so much as great friends. And he would help make him the king of Israel. He made other friends here. And when his dad said, oh, you got to die, man. You're eating something. I told you not to eat. You, 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 you crossed it. And, and all these other people said, come on, king, get over it. This guy's our hero. He's not someone to go, be, be hung, be stoned. He's all right. And these guys stood up for him. And he got some friends out of the situation. Got great opportunities to do other things. If we'll attempt great things for God. God will bless your life. We'll encourage other people. We'll make other good friends. We will further the work and opportunities that God's give us. And we'll help our leaders. You know, Saul was the weakest individual in this whole situation. But Jonathan encouraged his leader. He wasn't going to be the leader much longer. 
But he made a guy his own dad and strengthened his own dad. You know you can strengthen your dad? When I was reading this, I was thinking about um, Brother Abdel. We're praying for his dear dad to come and know the Lord. I prayed for him today several times and thinking about this. And I pray for him on a regular basis. The truth of the matter is, if Brother Abdel lives for Jesus Christ, guess what? He's going to strengthen his dad. I had a friend of mine named Gary or Jerry Greco. Jerry lived in a very dysfunctional home. And he came to know Christ through a bus ministry. And a guy, a family got a hold of him and started loving him. His family just made the most fun out of him. Just goofed with him all the time. His dad told him when he went off, he went off to Maranatha Baptist College in, in Watertown, Wisconsin back in the late 80s. And his dad and his mom just said, you're going to waste your life. You're going to this college. You're not doing anything for God. And, but you know, the truth of the matter is, he just kept exercising wisdom. And after a while, his dad got saved. His mom got saved. If you were to go and see his dad at a, at a barbershop, he wouldn't talk about his other four kids. He just talks about Jerry. How wonderful Jerry is. And I love Jerry. And Jerry's done this. And that's who he talks about. Doing the right thing, attempting great things with God, I think it encourages our leaders, our families in a great way. And then it blesses untold multitudes when you attempt something. What is it God would want you to attempt? Would it be reading your Bible through? Would it be saying, you know, God, I don't want us to get out of March without leading someone to Jesus. God, I'm going to disciple someone before 2022 is over, and I'm not going to wait till the fall to start it. I'm going to start discipling someone. I'm going, to, I'm going to spend an hour a week. I've got 168 hours, so do you. Let's spend one hour discipling one person, helping somebody, grow in the Lord. Find out what God's... Is it, is it time for you to get on a bus route? Is it time for you to, to, to help your Sunday school teacher and stop sitting at home on a Saturday when you can get out and do something? Go stand on someone else's porch, encourage somebody. Or should you start getting a, a sweetheart list of people that you'll pray for and contact and text and let them know that they're important to you? Whatever it is that God wants you to do. Why don't you decide tonight, I want to attempt something special that God puts on my heart. And whatever's on your heart, it'll probably encourage somebody else's heart too. Let's pray.